Welcome to episode 826 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 826 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. Here you go, mate. I'm good, Bevan. I'm about a, maybe 100 metres away from the pier in Kona, mm-hmm. staying with uh, Mr. Sausage, Ollie Jenna tonight. And we're staying at this little hotel across the road from the King Cam Hotel, which is where race headquarters is for Ironman, a hotel called Kona Seaside Inn. And mm-hmm. tomorrow morning, we'll be taking off to New Zealand. Got a negative COVID test, so I'm coming home, Bevan. Oh, did you have to actually have a negative to come home still, do you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Lucky you didn't get it. You've, exactly. You've had it, haven't you? Yeah, but you can get it again. Yeah, true. Yeah. Oh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad exactly. you didn't. I talk is proudly brought to you by... Our fantastic patrons. First up, we've got Martin Wally Waite. We've got Christopher Little J Swan. And John Mitsumansi. Okay, this week's show, we've got news. We're going to be talking a lot about the sub seven, sub eight, uh, Epic Camp wrap up, and then we're going to be doing lots of Epic Camp interviews. So, we've got a few of the kind of legendary names of Epic Camp on the show, John. We have. I just missed out on Albert Boyce because he, uh, I was pretty slack as per usual, and I was a bit, bit stuck on time. Um, we had Albert Boyce on the camp, but instead he was he flew out early, but we've still got Mark Pietrofessa, the Curly Freight Train, yeah. and uh, a few of our support crew. Every time, John, it's for the listeners, every time John goes on a camp, he goes, I'm going to get lots of interviews, and every time, about a day before he's meant to catch up for me, I've done nothing. I've done nothing. There's not a lot of spare time on these camps for me, which is a weak excuse, but just the way it rolls. Well, well done. Okay, well, the big news really that happened, well, there's a couple pieces of news, actually, because what happened in Hamburg was pretty interesting as well, but on the big scheme of things, obviously, the big talking point of this weekend was the sub-7, sub-8. And before we go into detail, John, overall, it kind of delivered, didn't it? It did, and it's fair to say that I'm feeling a little bit fatigued to do this podcast. It's, uh, it was the race finished this morning in Hawaii time, but I raced yesterday to the 70.3, ended up staying up till 11 o'clock with a few beers on board, um, watching the race, and then went to bed, thought, bugger, I'm going to have to go to bed, otherwise I'll be ruined, completely ruined tomorrow. Happened to wake up at 3 o'clock, thought, bugger this, I'm getting back up, and managed to watch it and sort of semi-delayed without any spoilers. Yep. And I, I pretty much watched the whole coverage. It was awesome. Oh, really? Did you really? Oh, yeah. I, wow. I would have watched, I would have watched, yeah, probably uh, the, the women were, what, seven and a half? I would have watched seven hours of coverage, I reckon. So I watched about an hour and a half. I watched uh, kind of the th- Probably up to about nine. I, I didn't see the swim. Then I watched the tour. There about ninety k's in the bike um, for about an, forty-five minutes here, and then I got home and I just went and watched the last part of the run. Um, so okay, so let's give it thoughts because you watched the whole thing. So let's go deep into it. So, what would what, what did you like about it? Well, I, I think every, well, not everybody, a lot of people weren't that excited about it, but I think we all had that level of, a little bit of interest, you know, and I, I'm in the same camp. I thought, no, this is going to be interesting, but I'm not that excited about it. Once it was on, I was, you know, just intrigued to see the tactics. I didn't really know how fast they could ride their bikes and holy shivers, did yeah, they man, ride it amazing, fast. Yeah. Um, and, but the best thing was, it was like it was a dream scenario. It was a race, and from fairly early on, 
it looked like they were going to make it. So it was more a case of yeah, it's a race race to see who can make it and how fast can they actually go. So yeah, everything fell into place extremely well. It was actually really cool as well because you you know a I thought um like um Joe Skipper what a performance like you know like when we think of um how do you say his name Blumenfeld um when you think of, when you think of Blumenfeld you know like. You expect him to pull off something like that, but Joe was only three minutes behind him. And I don't know if you'd say Joe was a three minute behind him kind of guy. Um, he you know, like second at, second at world champs if he was only three minutes behind. Yeah, and, he was. Uh, he was. And- he was. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I thought Bloomfelt was amazing as well, but I was really impressed with Joe. I thought it was a bloody good effort. Yeah. So let, let's go through through uh, each discipline. The swim kind of there wasn't too many surprises in the swim, other than they swam they were slower than slower. I thought. Yeah. So and, why? Uh, it sounds like maybe there was some currents working against them. Um, oh. none, of, none of them are sensational swimmers. So, you know, had Ali Brownlee been there, um, they would have been significantly quicker in the swim. It was but, just interesting because you know, did you see where they had their predicted time? So on the, the Garmin section of the website, they had the, the stats and all the rest of it. And predicted mm. times are both about three or four minutes behind where they wanted to be. Mm. So it may have been, may have been currents. Um, it may have been you know, in other races you get pulled along by a bigger pack. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're they a few minutes down the swim, but yeah, the swim probably well, probably was never going to be the game changer. Uh, that was going to be the bike that was really going to determine what happened. And first up, I've got to say, Blumen's, Blumenfeld's team looked the business because they were the only team that were all on matching bikes, matching kit, except for Blumenfeld here at his own kit at the end. Um, but they looked like a well-drilled team. Joe Skipper's team looked fantastic as well, but they weren't on the same bikes uh, as were um, Nicholas Spirik's team. They had a fancy red outfit on. Um, so that, you know, they, but, but Blumenfeld's team, when they were all in the same kit, same bikes, they looked, um, they looked sensational. Uh, they get on the bike, and so what did you think about the bike strategies? Uh, it was kind of expected. One one line, they they did have slightly different strategies, and I know some of you guys will have watched lots of it. Some of you won't have watched any of it, but yeah, it was it was different strategies for for different teams. So Nicola Spurig, she ended up sitting second to last wheel, um, and they had somebody. I think they were probably sitting there as more of a, a safety in case she happened to drop off, and then she could have sp- uh, swung around and and plugged the gap. Joe Skipper had a tactic where he had one guy riding in front of him. Uh, it seemed like almost the whole way uh, and he was kind of the protector so Joe didn't need to surge to to when the when the riders were rotating there was nobody rotating yeah, directly in front of Joe yeah. so he just had to hold one wheel and the rotating that in front of the guy that was in front of Joe so that looked pretty smart uh, and Blumenfeld basically sat it sat on the back the whole whole way as well so you wouldn't you never expected any of them to go through but there was slightly different tactics and some of the teams I think it was Joe's team I think they just had the same team out there the whole way through um, and the other teams were kind of swapping riders in and out especially the, the females seem to be doing that a little bit more but by and large you know, they looked like really well drilled teams both the males and the females there was I don't know if you saw the moment when Blumenfeld nearly crashed it was real heart in your mouth oh moment. really no I didn't oh, see my that God. And, you know, so what happened well, uh, just, they just had a bit of a mix-up, you know, a couple of riders in front of him, and they went boom, boom, different directions, and they were millimetres from completely losing it. Really? Uh, so that was uh, – and when you're going that fast uh, – so people, if you didn't watch it, the guys averaged you – know, Joe Skipper was quicker – 56 it was around 56 maybe 57 kilometers an hour and the ladies averaged 47 kilometers an hour unbelievable isn't it 
go and try and ride down a smooth piece of road where you live and see how you can hold that, you know. Um, well, most people couldn't. No. You know, I'm doodling along in the race at the weekend and, you know, you think you're, you think you're the business riding along a bit of road at 45 kilometres an hour. They're going, you know, the, the women are holding quicker than that for 180 and the guys are holding 56. You know, like 56k an hour in the flat. Like I'm full noise sprinting to try to get up to that speed uh, on a smooth road. So, Although I, in I, saying that, when we look at the power stats, the power stats were basically a little bit lower than what we would see in a traditional Ironman. So the drafting was really quite a massive effect on, on the, the guys at the back, at least. Well, it'd be interesting to see the final numbers on that because um, the Christian Blumenfeld's coach came out and he was saying um, mid-race, he said, oh, yeah, the power output's about where we want it, want it to be and it's a little bit lower than what he's done. But then when the guys got off the bike, they both actually said the power outputs were higher than what they were. Oh, so not, okay. Not not quite sure which is, which is right there. But whatever happened, they rode insanely quick. It was quite... Hindsight's a wonderful thing because there was certainly a lot of people commenting, oh, these triathletes, they don't know how to ride and, and there's no way they can ride that pace and Tour de France riders can't do that. And and I was in a, a similar camp. You know, I thought they were going to struggle to to hold that aero position yes, and hold the line for such a long time, especially when we, we look at Daytona and people had struggled at those, those sort of circuit races when they're on the aero bars for such long periods. But they all absolutely nailed it and they all got off the bike and looked sensational when they started running. Well, but, but in saying that, maybe one of the advantages of it was that they didn't have to do it for so long. So you think of like Joe Skipper's mm-hmm. time, he did 316. So, you know, you yeah. think if you're doing, a, you know, four hours, maybe four and a half hours in aero, that's, you know, maybe the extra kind of 45 minutes off, you know, it's basically 45 minutes, 50 minutes faster than what you do on a normal Ironman. Maybe that little bit less time allowed that concentration to be a bit more focused. Yeah, so I was impressed. They did have a very good day for it. Nice, clear, calm. Well, it wasn't calm. There was a little bit of wind there. Uh, so the bike conditions were great. Um, it did sound like it was a bit toasty for the run. Uh, so <laughs> Alistair Brownlee was doing a little bit of commentary, um, and he'd come up with an invention that Joe Skipper used. It wasn't really invention, but they had their support cyclists on the run Cycling behind Joe, oh, spraying, yeah, yeah, spray, spraying him with like a weed, weed killer, yeah, yeah, like a mist uh, to keep him, keep him cool. So, not sure how effective it was, but uh, I know when when I'm racing, and if you get some cool water over your head, it's it's really refreshing. It makes a massive difference. So, nice. Hey, what Joe Skipper so good for like so good for our sport, is he? Because he made like when he passed Bloomingfield, <laughs> and, and you know, and he does bloody bark dog thing he does, and you know, he, he's just such a good character, isn't he? Mm. And but Blumenfeld's great as well. Uh, yeah, totally. You know, they they worked off each other, and um, yeah, it was. But so in terms of the split, oh, in terms of the run, I thought they all ran extremely well. They all pretty much ran what they'd hoped to. You know, Blumenfeld had sort of said maybe two twenty twenty five is is going to be possible. But Joe Skipper, you know, um, put in a really good run. Nicholas Spurig put in a great run. Cat Matthews put in a great run. So I think when we look back at this event, you know, you go, okay, the bike. We can't compare that to triathlons. It's just, yep. you know, it's shits and giggles. But the run, you can go, hey, you know, 42Ks is 42Ks. And they did it. Yes, they all had a, a pacemaker there. Um, but, yeah, the run times were, were brilliant. So Kat Matthews finished time. She did seven hours and 31, which is actually what she predicted she'd do. But the, oh, splits, really? weren't, the splits weren't quite what she predicted. So she swam slower. She swam 54 minutes. Uh, she biked three hours and 50 minutes and then ran a 2.46, which as of yesterday was the fourth fastest run of all time uh, for iron distance racing. 
Nicola Spurig was only three minutes back. She also did a 54 swim. She lost about three minutes on the bike and then ran to 245. Um, and she actually, for people that didn't watch this, she actually, they got into the lead. Nicola Spurig came out on fire on the run and she was running. She was closing the gap down consistently past Cat Matthews at about 14K to go. And you're thinking this, she was looking good. Cat Matthews was starting to look pretty bad. And you're thinking it's all over, over. And then... Nicola Spurig started to fade. Cat Matthews got her um, mojo back and went straight past her, and uh, it ended up being you know three minute three minute gap. But yeah, Nicola Spurig still ran a two forty five, which uh, is very very fast. Bloomingfield, so I'll do Bloomingfield's bit. So Bloomingfield came in on the bike on the swim time of a a forty eight twenty one. He was projecting a forty five. Uh, bike time he did a three twenty four twenty two. Is predicting a three forty nine. So that's where he made a lot of time. He was predicting a two twenty five for the marathon when he came in in a two thirty fifty for an overall time of. Uh, and like uh, predicted time actually because oh no his target time was he just wanted to do under seven hours but he did it in a six forty four twenty five. And his run split of two hours and 30 minutes is four minutes quicker than we've ever seen anybody run before. So in, in, that's an iron distance race. An iron distance race. That's legit. Joe Skipper's Joe Skipper was awesome. Swam 53, rode a 316. Yeah. Uh, so he, he knew he needed to get a lead on the bike, and they they did go past pretty quick. And he still put in a really respectable 236, yeah. um, which is a it's his fastest time. He looked really good, faded a little bit at the end. But he made Christian Blumenfeld really work for it. And as we said earlier, when you're only three minutes behind the guy who's the world champion who's just done everything, yeah, uh, you know that performance, you know, possibly would have got him, yeah, you know, on the probably would have got him on the podium at yeah. uh, St George. Yeah. Now there's a couple of things I really loved about it. First of all, it was really cool watching Joe's interview afterwards. A couple of things. First of all, he said it was his favorite thing he's ever done in triathlon, which is pretty significant, isn't it? You know, and um, that was really cool. Secondly, he was really gutted he didn't win. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, you know, like, he, look, he did a bloody fast time and, he's, and he achieved the goal of going under seven hours, but you could tell not winning really hurt him um, in, a, in a really cool way. Like, it was like, this is really important to these guys. And I suppose the question is, other than this kind of, and this, you can call it a gimmick or not, but other than this kind of, one-off kind of experience. Does this show that there's a place for team racing in triathlon? Mm, not so sure. Not in this format. I think I think this is probably a one and done because now we know what they can do. If somebody goes out and does it again, it's only going to be incremental gains, you know, yeah. you would think. Um, yeah, they might go a fraction quicker with slightly different conditions, but I can't imagine the appeal of doing again. Like, again, the same with the sub two. If they went to try to do that again, you go, oh, kind of interested to see if they can do it. But I, I for one, probably wouldn't sit there for seven or eight hours watching it again because now we but know. If, if we go to teams and we go to um... – you know, like we go to teams triathlon and we go to something like, you know, the Olympic teams triathlon is four people doing a race against mm. four individuals. Mm. Is, there, is there a format where we can look at triathlon in, in like a team triathlon where it is, everyone starts to swim at the same, you know, you are trying to get, you might be like a, on the track cycles where the first fastest three across the line. Is there something like that? I know, And I know you can't really do that with mixed sex, but is there a place for, you know, because there was one thing I think the, the athletes loved was being in a team. 
Well, I can tell you, and I've probably told this story before on the, on the podcast, is where that happens in France is a, an event called the Coupe de France. Um, and it's the end of season race, and it's all the clubs against each other. Um, when we fir- The first year I did it, it was a seven-man team, and the fifth person across the line um, was who counted. And then the second time that I did it, they'd cut it down to you start with five, and it's the three that come across the line. And it is so much fun. And I was a weak link, and I still enjoyed it. The first, first time around, um, I was going to be the fifth finisher and yep. quite and, and yet so the pressure is on yeah I can uh, imagine. but it's huge it's great fun so yes, and it's I, also much more you know the thing about cycle racing is it's a game of chess whereas hmm. long course at least is very much you know there's a little bit it's, it's a very kind of minor game of chess whereas when you've got a team dynamic oh no i just think it was just interesting listening to it. i only heard joe really talk about it and i even think bloomingfield talked about it as well just how they loved the experience hmm. and you know i think there is a place in the sport maybe not in this format but a format where we could have team racing in a really exciting and dynamic way it could be something they could bring into like the collins cup um yeah. you know is is maybe they don't have all the individual matchups and you have a, a team's competition so maybe yeah. you have, in, in the Ryder cup you have all different formats of golf so you might have you know six individual races uh a team's one and a mixed team really i don't know that's just just you know something but um yeah I, team time trialing is great fun if you've got a group that's you know relatively similar ability because you have to you know when we used to do it we had to wait a bit for the, the weakest swimmers and then i was going to be the weakest runner so i sort of sat in for pretty much the entire bike ride yeah. and then you've got you know you've got some bikers that might be you know not such such good runners and and they maybe they're the ones that drop out and they just get on there and smash it on the bike so yeah i mean there's there's so many different formats these days so um why not so- so just with regards to the kind of general Blumenfeld, one thing we're going to say about Blumenfeld, this has got to be the greatest 12 months of triathlon in the history of the sport. Absolutely. Like it's, yeah. um, and the thing I love about him is to look at, he doesn't look like an athlete, does he? You know, like, no. you know, and he's, but he's just what, I don't know if we'll ever see this again. You know, someone who gets the Olympic gold medal, I memorial championships, beats a world record and goes sub seven, like what a 12 months. Well, and imagine if he hadn't had a mechanical at St. George. I'm not saying yeah. he would have won it, but the chances are he would have been there or thereabouts and could have been the Olympic champion, 70.3 champion, yeah. um, have the world's fastest iron distance time and then uh, set the, you know, the world's fastest or the world's only ever drafting line. It's so, absolutely like, it's because you'd never would have thought the guy who wins uh, the Olympics is going to go and win Kona World Championship that year. Just what an awesome 12 months. We're pretty, you know, it's one of those times where you're going, we're at a very lucky time to see this excelling athlete in a peak moment in their sport. Yeah. Fingers crossed they can, can keep it together. Yeah. Uh, Skipper, hats off because he did it, especially because he had COVID. Matthew is also a late call-up, which is great. Spirig, not much long-distance stuff, so we're going to be happy with her. Oh, yeah, yeah she did. She did great. She's some one Ironman. Um so she doesn't really have any long distance experience. I was commenting over the last couple of months, she'd done a couple of halves and was finishing like fourth and fifth. She was obviously using them as, as training events, but she didn't look like she was on fire. She had all sorts of injuries leading into it with broken bones and so on. So she did sensationally well. So the coverage I thought was, was they had a really good mixture of commentary. Um, I thought the picture coverage was really good. It's easy, yep. obviously, to cover when you're, when you're on a racetrack and there's probably lots of um, logistics already set up. Um, I would have liked to have seen more stats on the screen. I know that they did have the stats on the website that you could have gone and looked at, but I was just sort of watching the screen. It would have been nice to see more live stats. Um, 
Yeah, and look, I, I think it's a one-and-done event. I, don't, I wouldn't be interested in watching it again, but what I would love to see is this sort of format for, say, five or ten top five or top ten athletes in the world um, to see how fast they could go on a, on a course like that, which is super smooth, in good conditions, no drafting, and then see how fast, basically like Fredino did it, but not with shitty weather. Uh, yeah. So I'd, I'd be intrigued to watch that. I go over the weekend. We also had another phenomenal performance with Ironman Hamburg, which was the European Females Championships, and Laura Phillip was seven seconds off Chrissy's record. And what about that run? Oh yeah, I know. But seven seconds, you'd be ripping your. Oh, and you probably wouldn't even know, would you? You know, you probably, you know, well, when you run a two forty-five thirty-eight, maybe you're arguing everything you got. But if you know you're seven seconds out from the record, oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, and uh, I haven't watched any of the coverage, so I don't know if she cruised down the finishing line, but amazing performance. Swam 54, um, 38, rode a 4.31, and then ran a 2.45. So the invince, and, and I did a quick um, accuracy check, because I thought, oh, yep, let's just, and I looked on good old Terry Bessidy's, um Strava, and, and he, he registered his 179.8 kilometres on the bike, so nice and accurate. I looked at about three or four different run files, and they ranged from 41.3 up to 42.2, so kind of hard to tell if it was 100% accurate on the run, but it looks like it was pretty close, because you know what it's like with different people, and, and different people start their watches, you know, 30, 40 seconds late, so it looks like it was pretty legit, and the swim did not look like it was short, so Holy crap, so here's a question. It's fast. Uh, are females better at the males at running? And, and so if we look at marathon times, mm. the fastest marathon time is about 201 now, isn't it? For a male. Do you know what it is for a female? Uh, I'm going to say it's about 216, something like that. So, so then if we look at the fastest males, now Matt Henson's got the fastest, but it has got an asterisk next to it. So let's say Gustav Eden's one is a 234. Well, Christian, good. Um, uh, Gustav, not Gustav, Christian Blumenfeld went 2.30 today, so you might as well call it Yeah, but that, that isn't different. Let's, let's call it in a real race, because as much mm. as I do, that is fast. He did have fresher legs in theory coming off. So, you know, the men's race, the men's fastest times around 2.34, 2.35. Now, Christian Muller, she did a 2.41 on the UK course. But yes. other than that, it's around 2.44, 2.35. Mm. So the females in Ironman are about 10 minutes slower than the males in Ironman, whereas we look at Olympic running, the distance is probably about 12 to 13 minutes. Hmm. Let me look at it. Yeah, so do females perform slightly better than males in running in iron distance? Yeah, that would. Uh, it's an interesting physiological question because you then you could say maybe the males ride harder than the females, and I don't know. I'm just put it putting that out. Yeah, there. I don't know yeah, if that's because okay. Or not. So the female marathon world record is a two fourteen, so they're thirteen mm. minutes behind the males in the marathon, and these are the elite of the elite. Uh, and so, and, and if we go, basically, the female in the Ironman is exactly ten minutes. Mm. So, so yeah, it's, it's hard to note. Like in a, in. Hawaii, I think you'd find the guys' bike rides are a lot more surgy, but those record times that you mentioned before, you know, like Gustav Eden and Matt Hansen, they were probably, Gustav Eden's one was done more or less as a TT with, with Joe Skipper, uh, not Joe Skipper, um, Lionel Sanders. So, yeah, no, I think the, the women are outdoing the boys a little bit. Well, just, just you know, the God, they're all bloody amazing athletes, aren't they? Um, but well done. And so what else happened in that race? John, Laura Phillip took it I, out? Chelsea Sedara, she had a, I mean, she was a long way back, but still had a pretty strong race. She ran three hours and 20 seconds, uh, but she was 
it wasn't quite a dojo domination, but she was 18 minutes back. Uh, and then Manon Guigné was in third place, another oh, 20, 20 well, about 18, 16 minutes back from her. So pretty big spread when you go 8.18 for first and 8.52 for third. Okay, we've got coming up this weekend, we've got a couple of big races. We've got um, Ironman the what's that one? Ironman Des Moines. Des Moines. Have a, yep, in Iowa. And we've got Tim O'Donnell, Andre Lopez, Jesper Svensson, Matt Hansen's down to race, Cameron Wirth's down to race. Uh, so pretty decent, decent Matt field Russell. There. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the female Sky side, Skymatch, Alice Visser, she was doing some, I think she was doing pacemaking uh, today. Susie Cheatham. Um, yeah. So reasonable sort of fields there. Uh, it's an 18% of the Kona field for the females and 15% for the males. We also have Ironman Ken's happening this weekend as well. Braden Curry's going into the race with his favourite, Max Newman. Uh, it's not far behind. And they've got Tim Van Buerkle. So you kind of say probably Braden and Max are the two significant favourites going into the men's race. Um, but, if, you know, Pete Jacobs, you know, we had him on the show not long ago and he's kind of saying he's trying that'll to make his comeback. So yeah, he's, that'll, yeah, that'll be really interesting. Uh, you also just a name to... Uh, Probably not going to trouble the scorers at the front of the field, but uh, Jason Christie, he actually came and did my Oxman event last year. It was his first triathlon, and he's an ex-New Zealand cyclist, so it'll be interesting oh, wow. to see how quick he can ride. Uh, and on the female side, yeah, a little bit of interest there. Radka Carterfelt is down to race. So she's a fantastic 70.3 athlete. She had, I think, a couple of kids now, um, but doesn't look like she's registered a finish in an iron distance race yet. So she's going to be up against uh, Sarah Crowley, Christian Leopold and Kylie Simpson. So, Rekha Carter felt those first three yeah. have all got Kona slots. Uh, so, it might be, you know, relatively easy to get a Kona slot. There's only there's three for the females, and there's only nine of it's 11 registered, and there's already three of them got. So, you've got three and eight chance of getting a Kona slot. Brownlee needs to fly there today. It does, yeah. <laughs> he does. Although I don't know, because he's he's injured, isn't he? It wasn't COVID. It was, yeah. I think he's. They weren't saying it was a stress fracture. It was a stress-related injury. So maybe it's stress fracture. Maybe it's something he can come back from. Okay, Super League have announced their triathlon season for the 2022 Championship Series. We're going to be having races in September 4th in London, 11th in Munich, 17th in Malibu. Uh, to lose on October the 2nd, and then they're doing the grand finale, which they haven't announced the place where it's going to be happening on the 29th of October. So do we know what kind of racing? Is it a mixed race like they always do? Yeah, I would expect so. It's just it's, the season's going to be like getting longer. You know, I think that's five races now on top of all the, the World Triathlon Series commitment. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes. You know, I think the athletes will be prioritising World Triathlon above Super League, and yeah, you just got to think about the longevity of these athletes doing so much racing every year. Um, so I love Super League. Especially that kind of racing too, because that's yeah, top end. Top end. Yeah. And yeah, so that's that's my only concern. Love Super League, but uh, the other thing they're doing as well, if you're into it, you can now sort of join in and buy parts of the teams. You know, you can be become a, a fan or you can spend $14 to be a bronze member or you can go all the way up to spending uh, $20,000 to, um, <laughs> to to be uh, a, a diamond level member and then you get business class flights to, to all the events. So you, you're kind of buying shares in, your, in, in, the, in the teams and you can sort of help 
choose pontoon positions and help choose who's going to get the short shoot and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, they're obviously just trying to, to build in a bit more of a fan base, which is kind of cool, but not, not really my gig. For 20 grand, <laughs> I tell you that yeah. much for nothing. Yeah, <laughs> right, Dom, we're gonna pause and we're back in one second. And we are back, so now we're gonna move on to John's camp. So, give us a summary, but more importantly, tell us about your race day. What happened, John? What happened? Oh, we'll, we'll get on to that in a moment. Uh, so yeah, our camp, we had an awesome uh, crew over here that had a great time. Uh, Dave, we had a really big spread of abilities, which is um makes it sometimes a little challenging in terms of doing our support but it's kind of cool that we can now have camps where you know we can pretty much cater for, for all abilities we had a few speedsters up the front with me uh and then we had yeah a nice nice spread so if you want to come along to the Kona camp in the future just get in touch and get your name on the list it's day one we did a cool little loop a 50 to 60 kilometer loop around the captain cook area which a lot of people don't really go and check out had to change our swim plans because the sea was a bit rough and then we uh, later on the day we ran down Ali'i Drive, which is always pretty iconic. Next day, we went out and did uh, rode the Queen K, so rode the Ironman course um, with athletes doing between 90 and 200 Ks, a little run off the bike and then a short swim. Day three, um, we swam the Ironman course, and the cool thing with that is uh, we got to see a lot of dolphins, and everybody oh, really? got to be up so close. It's so cool swimming in the in you know, beautiful warm water, and they just they don't bugger off; they sort of hang around, and wow. uh, it's, it's wicked. That's special. Uh, oh, it's awesome. And yeah, uh, yeah we, it seems to deliver most most camps these days. It, it happens. Um, Touchwood. Uh, we did a little bike, forty k bike loop that day, and then uh, the infamous run from the Energy Lab back to town. I was talking it up, saying it's going to be hot as hell. You guys are going to suffer like dogs. It's going to be horrendous, and that's what it's like on Ironman Day. It's the coldest day I've ever had in Hawaii in my life. Oh, yeah. uh, it was crazy. It was just, it was pretty comfortable running. And I was, I was really disappointed because I want, I want the athletes to get the real experience. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't. And we, and we didn't get any, didn't get any wind the day before when we were biking um, out around Harvey either. So I was du- doubly <laughs> disappointed. Disappointing. <laughs> um, so come on, Kona, pick up, pick up your game. Yeah. Next day, day four, we had a big bike ride, uh, 145 Ks to Volcano, which has got a huge amount of climbing. At the end of the day, you have a, a 40 kilometer climb to Volcano. It's not steep, but it goes for 40 Ks. So it's a long, long way. A little run off the bike. And then the next day was my, uh, was my day that I was most nervous about we were biking from Hilo which is on the opposite side of Kona uh, all the way around to the Manalani which is sort of midway uh, along the Ironman course and you can get horrendous rain over there it's the wettest city in America and oh, I really? think it was yeah I think it's 157 inches of rain they get uh, a year which is off the charts it's the only time I've ever been to Hilo and it hasn't rained so the gods were smiling on us in terms of the weather conditions. We did get some rain later in the day. Beautiful ride, though. Um, just had a little bit of rain for maybe an hour or so. A little run off the bike and a swim. That was day five. Day six, we just do a little sort of bike, swim, bike run. So a bit of a race practice and start tapering into the race. Day seven is just an easy day um, before we go into the race. And then day eight is race day. And let's talk about race day. So Race day. Yeah, the, right. The plan versus the reality and the analysis. That's what you got written down here. So, what yeah. was the plan? Well, I, I went into this with pretty realistic expectations. The build-up had not been had been far from ideal, and I knew I wasn't in the same shape that I've I'd been in the past. But I had my expectations in the right place. Uh, the swim. 
it was a rolling wave start. As we discussed, I think, last week or the week before, I was a bit nervous about the swim because we were the last male wave to start uh, and I did have to swim through a lot of people um, but there was plenty of space and it wasn't actually too big a problem but I was straight off the front uh, and basically just had to settle in and do my own swim. I swam about 29 minutes which sounds pretty slow but it's a, a pretty slow swim course and most of the times were, were slow so I was um, satisfied, satisfied enough with that. Get out on the bike and um, yeah I got about maybe two kilometres into the bike Guess what happened, Bevan? And I've made a mistake, and I've made this mistake before. Well, oh, you didn't leave your bloody wetsuit on, did you? <laughs> yep. Your pants or something. That's right. You didn't do it again, did you? Could not believe it. I <laughs> honestly got two the same race. Oh my, I was, I was mortified because I thought I'm going to have to bring this up on the show. It's pretty embarrassing. That's like a rookie mistake. But the, the, my only excuse is I ha- have got a long, now got a long sleeve um, tri suit, and so my big focus getting out of the swim is I've got to get that up, got to get it over my shoulders, got to get it zipped up by the time I get to my bike. And I only do do you know Kona every so often, the 70.3, never wear a swim skin outside of that, and just complete brain bloody fart and just left it on. So uh, decided to <laughs> pull over, whip what it off, you? like it's it bush, and uh, <laughs> went and collected it later on. So if, if I'm man listening to this, I'll probably get disqualified for that. But hey, uh, that won't be the worst thing if that result's expunged from my, my series of results. Anyway, got on the bike and my, I'd, I put a post on Facebook before the race saying, if I can ride 250 watts, I'll be um, satisfied. And I ended up with 251 watts normalized power, um, which was pretty, pretty reasonable. Um, and I had some bad patches uh, where I could have ridden a bit better, but it was probably a pretty fair reflection of where my fitness is at. So getting off the bike thinking, I am a bit hot here and I'm feeling a bit cooked, but I've, my heart rate was okay, pace it okay. Let's see what I can do on the run. And uh, the run did not go well, Bevan. Did not go well at all. <laughs> what uh, what so, happened? <laughs> yeah, I just, normally at this race, I can handle the heat. Uh, it's really, really hot, but I can handle it. And it can, I, I've probably done it five times and yep. consistently run well and consistently had one of the better run splits and by better I'm meaning you know in the top handful of the day uh but I just capitulated after a couple of k's it wasn't like I was mentally weak or anything I just was overheating and just could not handle it so it was uh it was a disappointing run and after about two k's stopped looking at my my watch and just just slogged through it. It was walking through the aid stations and just uh, just had to try to get the job done. Uh, so it was about 10 minutes slower on the run than what I would have liked to have been and what would have been realistic with where my fitness is at. Um, as soon as a little bit last lap, a little bit of just a teensy little breeze came up, boom, I was sweet. So oh, really? really? Was a, really was a case of just overheating. It wasn't really a nutritional thing. I just couldn't, uh, couldn't stay cool enough. So anyhow. I'm not, not too cut up about it, but it was a bit of a disappointing day. But the, the swim bike was good. And sort of hung, I was still pretty pleased with how I hung in there because I quite easily could have really thrown the towel in. Um, but hung in there as best as I could. And end of the day, what I say to the other athletes is when I got to the finish line, I was completely rooted. And uh, at the end of the day, that's, you know, if you can do that, then you can sort of hold your head up high and do the, the best you could with what you had on the day. Okay, with Dr. Feelgood, Dave Dwan was asking what kind of analysis you do in a race like this, or do you just move on? So you've come up with some answers. 
Yeah, and because we were just wandering down to prize giving, and he said, "Oh, how long? How long are you going to dwell on this? You know, you didn't have a your greatest race." And I, was, I sort of said, "Look, I just pretty analytical. I'll go through, see if I made any errors out there. You know, firstly, I'll look at my heart rate and go through, and you know, when I look through that." it was about where it should have been. You know, my average heart rate across the bike ride was was really similar to what it's been in, in the past. Um, so it's not like I really overbiked. Um, then I look at my distribution of effort. Um, and so by doing that, I'm sort of breaking the ride into segments and looking at power going, okay, the average across the whole ride was probably where I wanted it to be. But did I go too hard in particular parts? And I potentially went a little bit too hard on the section up to Harvey um, but not nothing too over the top so I can't really go that was the reason why I sort of struggled a bit um, and then then look at the build-up and yeah my build-up was was patchy at best but one of the key things was uh, and this wasn't through choice it was uh, didn't have any racing no running racing no triathlon racing I did do yeah. a couple of small races but I was injured um, and then I look at my nutrition um, that was pretty much fine you know I was taking in uh, Morton nutrition and I didn't feel like I was bonking and I took in a, in a good amount uh, and then yeah, those are the main things that I look at, and and what I sort of what it boils down to me for me is yeah my fitness wasn't really where I was wanting it to be, and yeah we had cooler conditions during the week, so the uh, my acclimation wasn't wasn't quite as good, um, but yeah the main thing for me the fitness just wasn't quite there, and in hindsight you know probably should have gone for a slightly more conservative approach um, just because the fitness wasn't there, but um, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of here to race and I'd rather push the envelope a little bit and risk it than, uh, than take a conservative approach and just sort of uh, finish comfortably. So time to move on. How'd the campus go? Campus did great. I think we had, you know, probably about four who made the podium. So the, we, the American podiums or the Kona podiums is top five. So, so that was really good. Um, we had a very close finish in the men's 55 to 59, two campers, Mark uh, Pietra Fessa and Albert Boyce, really good mates. Only uh, 30 seconds separating them at the end. Uh, so they had a really good, good close battle. So by and large, as per usual, camp athletes did great. They felt really well um, acclimated, didn't really fade on the, the run. So by and large, athletes did very, very well. The other big difference for me in this event was having to navigate through traffic, which I've never really had to experience before. Uh, and by traffic, I'm meaning athletes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was for about the first... 30 Ks, you're just flying past people, and you and mentally, how do you handle that? Was like, is it just fine part of the deal, or does it actually take away some of your energy? Uh, it's it cost a little bit of time in places because they had to slow down to get through aid stations to, to get water, get you know, fluids. So, there was one time in particular, and that's only a couple of seconds, but you know, it was a almost had to come to a standstill to get, to get a, a water at a couple of stations. Um, and the thing over there is they don't have road closure, so you have you can't you're riding on the shoulder the whole time. And in the Kona race, is this massive rumble strip, so you constantly, yeah. You're constantly looking, you know, your neck's locked in position where you might normally be looking down a little bit more and just trying to be smooth and relaxed. So there's a bit more tension going through the body and then to, to got to be swinging in and out through the rumble strip quite a bit. So those little things, you know, I don't think it cost me huge time and it's the same in my age group. It would have been the same for everybody else. So I'm not moaning and groaning, yeah. but I uh, much prefer being at the front of the race and uh, just TTing it. So, uh, yeah. Ended up second in the age group, and lots of people go, "Well done, second in the age group. That's awesome." But for me, uh, don't really 
not too bothered where I finish. It's really more the performance. You know, if I'd had a great race and finished fifth, I'd be happier than finishing second with a with the subpar performance. But I would say this race is awesome. Like the run course is absolutely brutal, but it's really cool having a different sort of run course where you're up and down and all over the place. You're running on grass, you're running on paths. There's lots of little kicker hills. Um, so it's not a fast course, um, you know, but you need to really be concentrating to have a good run. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool race. Very cool. Awesome stuff. Okay, so we've got some interviews coming up. We've got Mark Petrofest, we've got uh, Dr. Phil Good, Dave Duan, Mr. Sausage, Ollie Jenner. Does Rob Flynn have a, the mighty? I think I think the mighty, yeah. Yep. And, and a guy, does she have a? She does not, no. So Mark's the only one that was a, a full athlete on the course. Um, Dave Duan's been a support crew, but he was racing. Ollie Jenner's support crew's racing. Rob came and did uh, part of the camp and then has done previous camps. And Anna Guy was a support crew, but she did a relay and she's also done uh, one of the others of our epic camps. Um, but those were the only people that were left by the time I got around to doing interviews. Not that they're of substandard quality whatsoever, um, but it was Sunday morning and most people have flown out by the time uh, I got around to doing this. So thank you to these guys for contributing contributing to the show. Okay, we'll put, I'm going to put them all on back to back. So here they are right now. Okay, finally getting around to some epic camp interviews. It was post-camp uh, and we raced the 70.3 yesterday and then today everyone's leaving. But I've got one of the guests you've heard his name mentioned on the show before, the Curly Freight Train. The reason he got the nickname the Curly Freight Train Mark Pietrofessor is he used to have a nice little uh, moulet out the back, but that's <laughs> no longer about. So welcome along to the show, Mark. Ah, thank you. Um, tell us a bit about your epic camp experience. Not so much about this week, but tell us your your sort of epic camp history. Well, I've done this will be the fifth. Uh, so I've done the uh, traditional uh, epic camps in New Zealand. First two were uh, South Island, and then the length of New Zealand was a third one, and then across Canada. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, for the big biggies. Tell us a little bit about what you were just saying before, because it was we should have had the recording before. But just you kind of was sort of saying that Epic Camp kind of opens your eyes a little bit to what is uh, what's possible and makes sort of race day a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, so I did uh, Ironman Hawaii in 2003 and swore I'd never do it again, uh, and then decided uh, through Gordo Byrne, he had done you know the the Epic Camps for a couple of years, I decided to go show up at one 2005. And after a couple of days with Klaus and Bjorn and yeah, yeah Stephen Bayless, all those guys, day three, uh, Scott Davis and I were like looking for tickets to go to Fiji. <laughs> we were out. It was yeah. rainy. I don't remember yeah. riding the Nelson. Uh, we were like, let's get out of here. Uh, Push through. Day five was basically in Nelson in that, that boys' dorm. Yeah. Uh, didn't get out of bed. Did a swim, but didn't get out of bed the rest of the day. Didn't get to go do the Tasman because I was too blown. Yeah. And... Um, but then day six, you know, that long day, just things started to come around. Yeah. By day 10, I felt like I was on fire. Yeah. And it was 12 days and got stronger towards the end. Then decided how hard could Iron Man really be? Yeah. And so I went back in 2006 and then did it a few more years. Yeah. Uh, so that really opened my eyes that, you know, it's just a little, you know, it's, I think uh, Iron Man Cowboy said it's 100% physical and 100% mental. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, it just opened my eyes to what you really could do. Uh, and, uh, you know, a couple years later, did something similar with the Wanaka Challenge after that yeah. Yeah, long camp. Did the swim and the bike. and Led me out in the swim, didn't you? 
no, you dropped back. You remember you didn't have goggles on, and I thought you were some guy lost, so I was like throwing elbows so you (laughs) wouldn't get on Scott's feet. I felt bad that, you know, you were... Um, Tell us a little bit about where you're from and your current age group and stuff so people can get a bit of a feel for for where you're at. Yeah, from Palo Alto, California, Mm -hmm. 56 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I've been doing triathlon since the 80s didn't do an Ironman until 2003 and then I've done now 14. How's, uh, how's Ironman changed over you know since the early 2000s to what what we see now I was down there yesterday the 70.3 and, and I do love it you know it's it's really cool but there's a lot of razzmatazz it's, it, I don't know it's it's changed a lot for me but what, what about for you from a, from an American perspective? Well I you know I kind of like it I kind of appreciate it now um you know for a few years there uh, like uh Iron Man this Iron Man that it seemed like it was too commercial but after doing you know a race in Miami that kind of ended poorly with just you know logistics and I got crashed out and you know organization it just I like came back to Iron Man just how they have everything how they make it a special experience it's almost like i was saying to cameron i think you know when you come to hawaii you just they make the the, the event makes you feel Mm. special now all these ironmans you kind of come to an event that makes everybody feel that way Mm. so it kind of makes them feel special and you know i think that's really yeah it's 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 kind of intoxicating people you know come back for that and they do a good job I, i i appreciate it so this week's been a bit different. You know, it's not the full Monty Epic camp, but we, we still had a few big days, and you, you polished off uh, over 200 kilometres on, on day day two. So tell us a little bit about this week and, and maybe how it compares to the full Monty Epic camps. Yeah, it's it was great. I'd never done uh, a pre-race Epic camp and uh, always wanted to, so this kind of lined up well this year. And uh, Albert was showing up, and I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, let's go, you know, and uh, so... Uh, yeah, I did a couple long days, you know, about 400-mile week. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a few runs, not crazy running, but uh, did some good swimming. And, uh, yeah, it's I, th- I think it's a great camp for pretty much anybody, you know. Mm. I-, I liked it now, you know, kind of a little bit older. don't want to mm. really completely blast myself and, <laughs> you know, wanted to go race and not completely get blown out. Mm. Um, but uh, it's I surprised myself. In fact, you know, on our predictors uh, of our, our result... I, I I didn't believe in myself. I gave myself you know five minutes slower than last year. Yeah, uh, I went four fifty eight last year, and I went five minutes quicker this year. Yeah, uh, a little quicker bike and same run, yeah. and that was with a big four hundred mile week. We well, on on whatever day we rode to Volcano. Mark was my wingman. He was looking after me. I punched it. Everyone else just rode off, which I'm fine with. Um, but Mark looked after me. And then you had your bloody cocaine donut. We pulled over to this aid station, and uh, Ollie, Mr. Sausage Support Crew Jenna, he um, busted out some 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 donuts. Mark took a couple of bites of that, and uh, and you're off ski. And uh, next time I saw you was in volcano. So yeah, you, you you said you know as you're getting a bit older, you're finding you're actually still able to maintain your cycling. Maybe the running's falling away, but swim still seems pretty good. But the the cycling, you seem to think you still got it. Yeah, actually, I think I'm a, a bit stronger. And I and I ra- I ride with a lot of guys mid 60s, mm. you know, uh, national champs, and I see it in them. And so mm. I you know I know that I can do that if I keep consistent and don't get hurt so what do you do to what does what, what do you do to keep your biking up is there anything specific are you going to the gym or it's just you know I, i'm starting to go to the gym just because i feel like i'm losing some strength but no i just do a lot of bike miles um 
I, you know, I'm in Northern California, so you can ride year round. I, I tend to ride 250 or 10,000 miles a year, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much the last three, four, five years. Um, and I do some, you know, kind of epic rides at home. Uh, you know, I'll just do, I'll do a, like a morning ride that we have ride for a couple hours on my own and go do a hard noon ride. Mm. So it ends up being a, you know, hundred mile session nice. with bookended efforts. Yeah. Uh, talk us through, talk us through your race. Um, you got, Mark got second place in the age group. I think it was a, probably the closest age group finish of the day. And, uh, and his good mate actually took him out, uh, Albert Boyce, who for some of you listeners who have been around since day one of, uh, the podcast. He was one of our early supporters with Co- when he had coffees of Hawaii, um, and he's he had a great race. But uh, t- talk us through your race. It was a bit of a bit of a tactical uh, battle out there. Yeah, it was it was a close one from start to finish. Albert started about twenty seconds behind me, so never really knew exactly where he was. Um, he did come by on the swim, and I jumped on his feet. We came out of the water together. Um, I fumbled through transition uh, and. Um, you know, had some issues, uh, but uh, he got out of transition a minute thirty up on me, and I, and I know Albert's running, and I know I've raced him many times, and I'm like, okay, I probably need six, seven minutes. Yeah. M- you know, ten minutes would be awesome. Yeah. And I took ten miles to get catch him, and I'm like, oh, this isn't this isn't going <laughs> as planned. Yeah. <laughs> and then I saw him at the turn at Havi, and he didn't look that far back, and I'm like, oh, this this isn't going to happen. And you know, I was thinking seven minutes off the bike i ended up with six minutes off the bike maybe six and change and uh i figured he'd catch me earlier um but you know had the i had the uh you know this uh the sport crew tell me he had started 22 seconds back so i i knew what i needed to do yeah and the last time down i think we call it hell's kitchen now yeah somebody's calling that um third time down he still hadn't caught me but he was darn close and i'm like yeah okay i'll just I knew he had to make up six minutes, so I figured if I kept pushing, he might just explode. I, yeah. I was hoping for the explosion. Yeah, <laughs> um, but he just kind of kept grinding away, and he came up on my shoulder with six hundred meters to go, <laughs> and I ran side by side, and I'm like, okay, man, I'll get on his feet and try to, yeah. you know, make up twenty seconds, which was kind of like going to be an impossible task. But I thought maybe, maybe he just might blow. And then he surged on me and put 10 yeah. yards on me. <laughs> and you, you guys are good mates. Um, did Albert say anything to you when he came not, up to you? Not a word. <laughs> Loving it. <laughs> Loving it. Um, so overall, yeah, sounds like you, had, you guys had a great race. I mean, and you, I know you would have liked to finish first, but um, yeah, hopefully plenty of satisfaction there. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's fun It's fun to race your you know, good mate, you know, mm. and uh, I think it got him fired up. He took his Kona slot. So, you know, he said he'd never do that again, but he's doing it. And it's always good when you're in one of the older age groups. These guys are 55 to 59, and they beat the age group below them, which was 50 to 54 by about 10 minutes or so. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's always good. good. Yeah. Awesome. Well done on the camp, and uh, thanks for coming along and keeping us entertained and uh, looking after us. So yeah. thank you very much. Well, thanks for having it. Cool. Right, next up we've got uh, an Epic Camp veteran who's super support crew, Dr. Feelgood, Dave Dwan. Welcome back to the show, Dave. Hello, Johnny. Good to be here. So Dave uh, now sort of splits his time between New Zealand and uh, living in Kona. So he's a Kona local, got the green card, ticked that box. Um, and yeah, he's been supporting the camp this week, this week and also went out there and raced at the weekend. So... First up, Dave, you're, you're, you're moving through the age groups. You, uh, do you age up next year? Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. So maybe just tell us a bit about what, how you've had to train, change your training, say, over the last 10 years. So Dave's in the 65 to 69. 
age group and he's towards the end of that age group. So how's things sort of changing for you as you get a little bit older? And what do you got to be really mindful of? Recovery is the, is the biggest thing for me. I know earlier on it was easy to push, 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 but now recovery is vitally important. Nutrition is the second one for me. Mm-hmm. And probably just being aware of strength and conditioning. I, I, I know Melina and I talk about this a lot about making sure I do some weights and some uh, and just stretching and just keeping the body as subtle, supple as I can do. Mm. Um, and how has the speed been affected over the last few years? Well, to be honest with you, I'm, I don't think I've dropped a lot of speed. I did yesterday. It was really hot on that second lap, so I lost a bit of time there. But swimming's around the same. Swimming mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, 36 to 38 typically on the swim here. Mm-hmm. Uh, bikes somewhere between 250 and 305. Had a puncture yesterday, so that slowed me down a little bit. Running, I have to say my running's been the strongest it's been for a long time. It was a Great. bit rubbishy yesterday, but, you know, I was coming down, heading towards the finish line, sitting on 535, so I was happy with that mm-hmm. for an old bugger. Mm-hmm. And you love Hawaii. What, what, what is it about Hawaii that you're loving so much? Well, Johnny, we wake up warm, we go to sleep warm. I'm warm all the time. Yeah. I love it. If you do ever want to come over to Hawaii and um, spend some time with Dave, be ready for no air conditioning but or, <laughs> or get a unit where you've got enough people on your side to veto that so you actually get some air conditioning over here because otherwise it's, uh, it's pretty toasty, but I guess you get used to it. Um, Talk, talk us through your race and, and strategy and so on. Um, you, know, you guys were the, the second group to go, so the way yeah. they started it yesterday at the 70.3, it was a rolling wave start. You had the 40 to 44 men go first, then you had uh, sort of the older fellas go next, and then they kind of spread the faster groups through, and uh, I was unlucky enough to be the last group to start. But um, talk us through your, your strategy uh, around this race. You've done this course quite a few times. It runs different this year and last year. Um, but how, how do you sort of approach this race in terms of from a tactical point of view? This year, I, uh, the strategy was really simple. Smooth, smooth, smooth swim, no pressure. Uh, whatsoever bike was a steady pace all the way apart from the puncture I got it was on I was on song for about three hours just under three hours the run again the, the, it was just a smooth first lap steady second lap and a strong third lap mm-hmm. and it kind of apart from you saw me walking when I was in between aid <laughs> stations you kick my ass and that was fun but I think uh, that was really all I needed to do but the big key this year was nutrition. I put more. You had a lot of nutrition. Yeah, I, I was looking at going. That's no, quite a lot of nutrition. Yeah, I just wanted to keep it. the carbs up. I just mm. decided to keep the carbs up a lot more, and which really worked extremely well this time. And also on the run, I had a strategy of sipping rather than gulping. So I was having small sips of water for mm. the first two laps, and water on my head. A little bit of ice. Last lap, I got into the coke. I did have Morton's on the run. at about five gels, I think, on the run, spread mm. over that time, and then last couple of la- last lap was into the Coca Cola, and yeah. felt w- worked well. Yeah, but you had Morton on the bike as well. Yes, I did quite yeah. a lot. Yeah, I did, which I wanted to keep. I normally sit around ninety grams of carbs, but I decided to go a little bit higher this time. Just mm. and it seemed to work well. Plus mm. a little uh, some um, precision precision hydration hydration yep. uh, to keep the salt up. Yeah. Um, and how do you sort of deal with the tough moments? So you, when I passed you. It was sort of just at the turnaround, and you, I, I didn't really know how your day was going, but you were walking. How do you get yourself back in the game, especially if you, have a, if you are having a shitty moment? What do you sort of try to focus on to, to get yourself back in the game? This year, because I've had a really good season of training, I knew I, I know I can run faster, so I just said, right, let's go, next aid mm. station. And mm. if I feel that particular moment where I need to back off a little bit, I, no, you've done this before, you've done this before, and just, just bring back that, moment of 
on my training days in particular when they're really hard, and I've done that before. You know, I've raced here before. I love being here. I'm on the big island. Smile and just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you, you were a little bit disappointed with your placing in your age group, but I did notice that one of the guys, I think uh, he was either second or third, is a guy, Kurt Madden, um, who we've actually had on the podcast once before, and he, I think he won the first ever Ultraman or something like that, or That's won right. one of the very first. So you're up, you've got a few studly people in your your age group, and I am the higher end of my age group now. Yeah, which is so I was more than happy, and I guess I guess the, the all that put in was put in perspective when I got the roll down. Well, first Hawaiian resident home to get a slot for the world champs in October. Yeah. So everything before that didn't really matter. Yeah, um, any Hawaii tips in terms of uh, places that you'd recommend that people don't necessarily go to. You go on about Kua Bay, which I haven't been to before. Yeah. Uh, any other little, uh, yeah. so Kua, Kua Bay, maybe explain where that is and, and any other little tips you've got for people in terms of places they might want to visit if they come to Kona. So a lot of people, locals here, ride up to the uh, West uh, Vet Veteran Cemetery for, and across the road from there is, is Kua Bay it's a beautiful little spot and if you get in there you just won't leave it's just beautiful the other place would be Little Harpuna this this side airport side of, of Big Harpuna mm-hmm. um, some people refer to it as Beat 69 if you're here on it if you're staying for longer I'd go to Kalapana which is down way down south of Hilo there's a there's a farmer's market there it just gives you island life like nothing else mm-hmm. um, but apart from that most of, the, most of the beaches here are great Pines Beach all the beaches are great uh, Magic Sands of course everyone knows that but it's great to sit around there mm. um, the other one would be uh, Turtle Beach which is a little bit further where the surfers are hanging out just go snorkeling in there so it's, mm. it's pretty cool and tips are just wind the windows down mm-hmm. and turn the aircon off and, and just enjoy the warmth of the big island and, and I think too Go to places that aren't on a let you drive for food. Like we go to TK TK Noodles a lot. It's just mm. a great fresh food, you know, fresh food and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of little little spots I love to go to. In fact, I think we'll go there tonight. So there is one place that a lot of people don't know about. It's called TK Noodles, and uh, you get big feeds, reasonably priced, lots of veggies. Um, there's no view. It's just a just a sort of little restaurant off the off the beaten, beaten track. track. The other place would be uh, up by uh, Bali Kai. The, mm-hmm. Poke Shack, yeah, best poke on on the island. If you if you can't get there, go to KTA up by Kaho um, and just make your own poke up from there. And if you do happen to go over to Hilo, which is you may pass through there if you're going to Volcano, um, a place called Pineapples, um, where we eat, we had a great meal there. Yeah, awesome service, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just a sort of pubby type place on a corner, open air, really, really good. So there's some some Kona recommendations if you're coming over later in the year. So you got your ticket for uh, for Kona, for, yeah, for Ironman yeah. World Champs this yes. year. Looking forward to that. So I'll look- be coming over about September, do a a month's training in the heat again, and just try and get my shite together so I get it all together. But again, for me, it's a little bit of redemption. Last time I raced here in the Worlds, it was. I, I was a bittersweet moment. It was a great. My daughter Libby was here watching me. It was a great day. It was a crap run, but apart from that, I'm just looking to do it. It's a great moment. Mm. I love it. Mm. Awesome. Thanks for your support on the camp, and uh, congratulations on your race. Well, Johnny, as I said the other day, it's uh, great to be back here, and so thanks again for putting it on, and, and much aloha. And we'll uh, hopefully be back here either next year or the year after to do it all over again. So if you're keen to meet Dr. Feelgood, pop me in my message. Okay. We need to get some female perspective on here, but um, because I've been so lazy in getting these interviews, uh, most of the athletes have left, but we've got an athlete who this week was doing support crew, um, Anna Guy. She's done uh, one of our length of New Zealand, no, length of the South Island camps. 
qualified for Kona probably about uh, 20 years ago <laughs> and finally gets to do it this year, um, but had never been to Kona and she's been over here doing support crew this week. So firstly, welcome along to the show. Thank you. Um, okay, so first time to Kona. Uh, give us your, your your initial impressions like the first day when you, you saw the Queen K and you saw the pair and Dr. Feelgood was probably doing bloody his uh, tour guide um, all around Kona. What, what were you sort of thinking going, is this kind of what I expected? Is it different? What were your initial impressions? Sure. Uh, it is, it's drier than I expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew it would be warm, but I, probably not this warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, driving from the airport along the Queen K and then being pointed out on that initial drive, that's the energy lab, and uh, thinking, oh, goodness, that's what I'm going to be doing in October, um, was kind of a baptism by fire. Mm. Um, Yeah, no, uh, so, yeah, initial impression, uh, a lot of lava Mm -hmm. uh, with these pop-up tropical... Bits where the where the um, Manalani and the Waikoloa and yeah, things like that. but literally in the middle of this brown expanse of lava, um, and it's super lush. It's yeah, yeah kind of like an oasis, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, we, we this week has been a little bit odd and on the weather front, and I was getting a bit frustrated because I was, you know, you always talk <laughs> up the energy lab, you say, oh, it's going to be brutal coming out of here, and you talk up the Ironman course, and you go, it's going to be windy as hell, we've got a good chance of some wind, uh, it's going to be really hot. But we just had bizarre weather. The, 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 the run out of the energy lab was the coldest it's ever, ever felt in Hawaii, and the bike ride to um, Harvey and back was tame as anything. It was a little bit of a breeze, and I said, guys, it's going to be probably be worse than this on race day didn't end up that way um mm, so mm. you kind of had the the lighter end of the stick on on the weather front um but yeah. then but then race day yeah so anna ended up for the race doing a relay where she did the swim and the run component so you seem to bloody love it out there yeah i did love it out there and um you had actually talked up the whole oh the energy lab it's so hot it's so hot and i, n- I remember on that practice run uh, I was just clipping along, feeling really good, and you ran past me and said, uh, just uh, to let you know that this is the coldest it's ever been, <laughs> and I, my heart sunk, <laughs> like literally sunk. And so, yeah, I was really uh, lucky yesterday, after a week of crewing, being able to actually join in and do um, the swim and the run yesterday, and I enjoyed that run. Actually, yeah. let's start with the swim. Yeah. Loved the swim. We had a rolling start. And uh, it just didn't seem that manic sort of mass start that you're so used to with um, when you're in Topol and you're um, lining up out there. So I enjoyed that. Uh, the relay people went with some, I think it was like the 35 to 39-year-olds. Mm. They were speedy males. And so one relay person, one speedy male. But it didn't matter. Like we had plenty of water. Like mm. I didn't feel anyone climbing over the top of me. Um, I loved the swim. Uh, you know, you sight turtles underneath you. There's all these colourful fish. It's actually, uh, you forget you're racing, actually. Mm. You've got yeah. to pinch yourself. Yeah. Um, so came in, and then I um, had the luxury of going back to the uh, condo, having a shower, <laughs> um, uh, putting my feet up, messaging people. I even took a phone call, and I said, listen, I'm in the middle of a race. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, I had a three-hour break while my cyclist was out there. Um 
uh, doing his best. And then uh, went and sat in the relay pen, and and that was fantastic. Great vibe. There was 35 uh, relay teams, and everyone, it was like a little carnival of its own. And then my cyclist came in, and off I went on the run. And um, the aid stations, they just, they were so frequent. that, And I just felt like I was in this pool of water the whole time, just glasses of water on the top, um, drinking, ice down the front. Um, yeah, and actually both yourself and uh, uh, Dr. Feelgood had said put ice in your hands and I found that uh, I put a big chunk of ice in each hand and it stayed, it literally just melted away the last bit of it and I'd be at the next aid station. Yeah. So my hands were constantly cold and nice. I'd never raced like that before. Yeah. Made a huge difference. Um. What was I going to say? Uh, yeah, and your teammate, um, 77 years old, did 320 or 330? Uh, 324. 324, very mm. solid. So at this race yesterday, so Anna's teammate was 77, did a great job. They had a 90-year-old start. I don't think he made the cutoff, but I think he finished, which is bloody impressive. Uh, they did have a, an 80-year-old finish, a Japanese fella, got his mm. ticket to, to Kona. Um, yeah, and I think you're in a good place because a lot of the time people come to Hawaii and come to this camp and they go, I don't know if I can do an Ironman out there, but you seem to be the opposite, which is which is great. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your qualifying and how that went, uh, where you qualified and when that was. Okay, so I qualified just over two years ago in Topol, New Zealand, and uh, and then, of course, COVID happened, so the race was deferred. And then I did my second uh, Ironman the following year uh, and still waiting for uh, to come to Kona, and then that was deferred again. And so, yeah, I'll get to Kona at the, in October. Um, so did you qualify? Was it 2019? So it was, 20, no, it's 2020, 2020 I qualified. We yeah. just snuck Ironman New Zealand in before COVID came. Literally, it was like two week weeks. Week. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we were in lockdown. So, um, yeah, I feel like my uh, the whole Kona campaign, has it's like that uh, thing that is never going to happen. But <laughs> actually being here literally on the island and having this preview, uh, it's really whetted my appetite. I'm excited. Mm. Um, Great probably a little more realistic about what I have to do for my training and mm. it's uh, I've got a big winter block ahead of me I'd say <laughs> mm, totally um, and one other thing you did recently was a like a five day or something ultra where oh, you no, basically seven, seven days, seven days. Let's, let's not uh, let's not, <laughs> let's not <laughs> let's water not, it down no. <laughs> seven days of basically doing an ultra a day so maybe just talk us a little bit about that yep. and maybe contrast that to what it's like to do an Ironman run yeah okay very quickly I um so it was a seven days and we did six day it was six stages over seven days it's called the Southern Lakes Ultra we ran 265 kilometres, did 10,000 metres of elevation, and um, that was brutal. Like uh, I felt like I was doing an Ironman every day with mm. one rest day, um, and because you weren't changing it up, but look, there was it was literally just uh, running slash hiking in these hills. Um, so, a lot of people have said to me. Iron Man's going to just feel so easy after that. Mm. So I'd love to think that it is going to be the case. Yeah, yeah, so in contrast, so interestingly, I get niggly Achilles when I'm on the road all the time Mm -hmm. and didn't have that with the um, ultra training. But 
I've probably ran five out of six days in Kona, and I got niggly Achilles again. So that road mm. running, I've got to be really careful with that mm. and uh, get some strategies around that. And, um, what did your legs feel like after you know multiple days? Was it was it did it feel like I'm getting up and you are running an Ironman? Is that kind of a bit of DOMS every day, and then it you was, just kind of got into a groove? Yeah, it was DOMS every night, every day, and um, I had really sore ankles and never had that before. So. Mm. Um, the first two days were uh, reasonably flat and on sort of gravel roads, and then uh, the relief when we hit the hills, uh, mm. the just all my muscle groups were just like so grateful. I changed mm. into proper sort of technical shoes and, um, yeah, sort of got my second wind. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, but I, I think mentally that getting up day after day when you are absolutely empty mm. uh, has strengthened the head game mm. yeah so. sounds like epic camp a little bit <laughs> it actually do you know what it it's it is very similar to epic camp that getting up just absolutely exhausted the the alarm goes and you're like really um, and I've got to go again and you're almost that first sort of hour or two mm. You're actually a bit quiet, just mm-hmm. as you're waking everything up, and then, I don't know, you just sort of run into it. I, I know when I did Epic Camp Link to the South Island, uh, the fourth day, it was like I, I rounded a corner, like I came mm. right. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was kind of similar. Mm. Um, I I think I've banked this, because um, our longest day on that multi-day ultra, like I did 72 Ks, it was the fourth day in a row, uh, We did 3,300 metres of elevation. Like, it took me 16 hours and 22 minutes. I finished just after midnight. And I think whatever I do in life from now on, and I guess immediately I'm thinking uh, world champs in October, nothing will ever be as hard as that. Mm. I have been here. I have been in the depths. Mm. So I'm going to pull that little memory out. Good. Well, that's Mm. what Epic Camp's about. That's what uh, those sort of events are like. And... uh, yeah, hopefully you smoke it in October. So, um, is ultra running something you want to carry on with? Like, was that a one and done, or are you going? Oh, kind of quite like oh, that. Well, it's a bit like Iron Man in that you know, at the end of it, you're like, "There's no way in hell I'm ever going to do this again." Like, yeah. this is a one and done, and um, and yeah, I feel like I, I I've conv- I did that actually with my um, the first. Iron Man I did I was like I'm never doing ever no one will ever ever talk me into this again Mm. and then I walked into the roll down ceremony I actually came sixth in um, that Iron Man in my age group and I knew I wouldn't get the spot because my um, friend Julia Spark was going to take it Uh, and so you know I knew I wouldn't get a spot, so I wasn't even going to go to the roll-down ceremony. Walked in. They were literally calling my name as I mm. opened the door, and I looked up on stage and just did a beeline for the stage. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And so then I was like, oh, I guess I am going to do a second Iron Man then. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and now I've done a second one, and now this will be a third one, and now I'm kind of toying with the idea of road. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, is it ever going to end? Yeah. Mm. Good time. It's been good to have you on the support crew. You've done a great job. And, yeah, thanks very much for your help and nice work on your event yesterday. Oh, well, look, thanks for having me. It's just been a fantastic week. Great week to sit on the other side. Like, I've never uh, done crew work before. Mm -hmm. And uh, see it, uh, yeah, sitting on the other side has been really good for me. It's an awesome team that you've got together here. And the campers are great. You know, Mm. everyone just um, finds their groove and, 
And yeah, I think everyone had a great day yesterday, yeah. eh? Yeah. yeah. Um, um, well, everyone. Except for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 the campus did well and that gave me a lot of pleasure. So awesome. Thanks for your time. Thank you. You've heard from Dr. Feelgood Dave Dwan, who's probably um, done the most epic camp support crew roles out of everybody. He's done a lot. Um, but hot on his heels is uh, Mr. Sausage, Ollie Jenner. Welcome back to the show, Ollie. Hi, John. And the reason he's called Mr. Sausage, you tell a story, Ollie. Okay, so when I lived in France, I set up a business making sausages and bacon for people. Yeah. And I ran that for quite a while and then wasn't enjoying it so i ended up selling the business and uh, retraining and doing what i do now which is which is massage physio type work yeah where are you actually where are you based give yourself a plug so i'm based in the uk um my clinic is in a gym called the athlete factory in chester Mm -hmm. um i've been there for about five years now um but any chance i get then i always come out and help out on epic camp Mm. tell us about another role you've got um and and what that sort of entails because you've always got uh something interesting to say (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um the other job that i kind of do is the i work for uk anti-doping and we do the drugs tests with athletes so we do test across football cricket rugby all the different sports in the uk so it's great because i get to watch a lot of live sport a lot of uh, meet a lot of interesting people um but yeah i'm not always the person that people want to see (laughs) turning up at their door in the morning it sounds like you meet quite a wide variety of um personalities yeah i do it's uh it's kind of the interesting part of the job really is you meet these guys um so where i live is near to manchester city man united liverpool everton a lot of the big football clubs so um they get tested really frequently um probably once or once or once a fortnight, I would say, um, we turn up and we test them at the a squad test in training. So you get to know the players quite well, um, yeah. become quite familiar with them, have a good chat with them, and you get sort of an interesting insight into sort of some high-profile professional athletes. And as a rule of thumb, if you think they're at all, are they at all? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really it's the other way around. There's really? players that... Um, I obviously can't name, but there's yeah. players that come across really well in the media and you meet them and they're absolutely nightmares. <laughs> um, and then there's other, it's the same with others. There are players that are, are great, are really nice people and yeah. they have this terrible sort of on pitch or media persona. Yeah. Interesting. Um, how's your week been over here? This is your third time over here. Um, maybe explain your sort of role and maybe how you got to deal with athletes and how their bodies kind of change a little bit during the week. Yeah, so I, I love it over here. It's a great camp to come on. Um, it's beautiful scenery. It's obviously quite different to back home as well. I've just uh, had a message from my partner and she says it's 10 degrees and raining there. Yeah. So it's going to be a bit of a shock off the plane. Um, but no, for the camp, um, athletes' bodies... They take some managing on this. They take a bit of maintenance work, but you're kind of finding that balance between working too deeply with them. You obviously don't want to work too deep and cause bruising and issues, um, but you also have to try and be effective with them and try and keep them, keep patching them up and keep them going through the camp. And we've certainly had that with a few guys this week. Um, There's been a couple uh, that I've worked with quite regularly, sort of like four or five times, uh, just to keep them going. So for me, it's quite satisfying when you see them at the finish line and they've got there and you think, oh, in a small way, I've kind of played a part in that. Yeah. Um, But my role sort of, I think with all the support crew, we are very much a team and a good team and um, we all help each other out. So whether it's um, 
yeah, getting breakfast ready, lunch ready, packing yeah. the van. Um, no job is uh, designated to one person, so yeah. we will uh, work together. Yeah. Uh, and for Kiwi listeners, Ollie experienced his first pixie caramel last night, as well as a bit of uh, pineapple lumps, which he quite enjoyed. And now I'm getting all these new experiences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you're, if you're not from New Zealand, there are just some, some delicacies. Well, hardly delicacies. They're just lollies and stuff, but they're, they're quite tasty. Um, talk us through. You, you, you've done the race three times. How, is the, how have the experiences contrasted um, over those three three times? Yeah, I, I, I've never really had a good race here. It's not conditions that suit yeah. me at all. Uh, it was really hot on the run yesterday, I found it. Um, I think going into any of the races here, though, I've kind of had to manage expectations as to how well I'm going to do because we, support crew, we do work hard. We do yeah. put a lot of hours in, and I think it it's a bit unrealistic to think, oh, I'm going to go and PB there. Yeah. Um, but I was saying to somebody yesterday, I get a lot more out of the fact that you see others on the course, everyone's having a good time. Yeah. And if I go 10 minutes slower, but that happens, then I'm more than happy for that. Yeah. And yesterday, so they've got a new new course over here. It used to be a split transition. Um, you got to see a dolphin, uh, no, a dolphin, you got to see a turtle, a turtle. Yeah. In, the, in the swim, both directions. Yeah, it was ridiculous. There's <laughs> all these hundreds of people swimming, and this turtles just lay on the bottom in about five foot of water. Yeah. Um, yeah, just happily like carrying on with his day as all these uh, ungainly swimmers are going <laughs> over the top of him. And the other experience we've had this week is uh, everyone got to see dolphins, I think, on uh, the day we swam the Ironman course. It was mental. There was a, it was a good part of dolphins you had another dolphin experience too didn't you yeah Chase i was them down? i was really lucky at harpooner when we went there um we could see them sort of jumping and spinning uh, off of the beach so i thought oh, i'm gonna swim out to those so yeah. uh, it was about a 500 meter swim out to it but um i got out there by myself and i had about 30 of them just around me so wow. it was yeah absolutely amazing it is amazing like in new zealand you can swim the dolphins but you got about yeah, a meter visibility. It's still cool, but over here you can just see them, you can hear them, and they just come up to you. It's it is a yeah, very very cool experience. We, we've been really lucky this year as well, haven't we? Yeah. Is that we've had dolphins, we've had turtles, we've had all the kind of things that the campers want to see. Uh, yeah, you can't guarantee them, obviously, can you? Because they're wild animals. Yeah. But no, we've. Uh, we have lucked out this year. And, and you even uh, decided to stand on a sea urchin as well to get the, the full uh, oh, know, marine yeah. experience. That's right, yeah. <laughs> no, I've uh, even learned how to deal with that yes, now explain, as well. Yes, explain how to deal with a sea urchin. Yeah, so apparently if you get the spines stuck in your foot, you mustn't pull them out. You've got to soak them in vinegar, and yeah. half an hour with a pad of vinegar on your foot, and you're good to go. I did that the day before the race, and I'd love to use that as an excuse as to why <laughs> I ran and walked so much, but it was uh, it was nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, uh, good times. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the camps, so thanks for your time, no, Ollie. Thanks, John. Yeah, I had a great time. One of our patron partner sponsors is World Triathlon Store, and we've got uh, Rob Flynn here, who's uh, Mr. World Triathlon Store. So welcome back to the show, Rob. Thanks, John. Pleasure to be here. Um, so you, this, you've done the full camp before, you've done um, this time around, you sort of came in late in the camp, but you still got to do the ride from Hilo across over to Manalani, and you got to experience Ken's House of Pancakes for the first time. Tell us a little bit about Ken's House of Pancakes in Hilo and how that experience was like. Uh, nobody leaves there hungry, I mean, yeah. you can say that for sure, but yeah, it's a good buzzing little atmosphere and it's a um, different vibe, I think, that side of the island to this one. It's very different. But uh, I think... Uh, 
my ride from uh, Hilo to Manalani was a bit stronger than my ride in the race, but a yeah. little bit of <laughs> excitement having got off the plane. Yeah. yeah. Um, my advice if you go to Ken's House of Pancakes is Ollie accidentally didn't know what kiki means, and uh, kiki means child's um, plate in Hawaiian, and he ordered a kiki plate, and that was about right. I think he got a couple of pancakes and bacon on the side, and he was right. Um, Whereas Anna Guy, another one of our support crew, she ordered pancakes and got about five or six of them and got through maybe one or two. That's um, right. No, big, big feeds as you often find in America. Yeah, there were stacks left over as we departed. Was. We should have got a doggy bag and taken that with us. Uh, so you've done this race um, a number of times, five times. He's holding up their five fingers. So tell us about how your experiences have been and, and how this year sort of contrasted to, to past races. Um, yeah, I was interested to see this year because the course has shifted mm-hmm. almost year after year after year, and now it's all in one place. I think it's significantly better and um, great for uh, epic-like uh, campers as well because we mm-hmm. just wander to the start. I mean, I I had a six fifty-five start time and I left the condo about six twenty. Nice. So uh, I mean, you can't get any better than that. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's better. It's all in one place. Mm. Um, the atmosphere is there. Uh, bike course is the same. The run course—they uh, must be getting a discount on grass because <laughs> there's five five miles of grass out of the thirteen, and uh, a lot of it is undulating cart path as well. Um, but yeah, I don't think you can beat it really. I mean, I've done it five times, and it's just um, an awesome vibe, and every, everybody's in a good mood. I think start to finish. Yeah. yeah, and the run course. I was saying this to Ollie yesterday. Like I had a really shit run yesterday, and. Uh, wouldn't say I enjoyed it very much at all but it's a unique run course Uh, you're not coming here to do a PB but it's constantly changing you've got to be on your A game and if you're on your A game it's quite satisfying because you've got all these little um, ups and downs there's there's literally yesterday there's an out and back stretch on a road which was maybe 500 metres at most one way and so K return other than that there is not a straight piece of uh, straight straight line on this course uh, other than running up and down a bloody uh, golf fairway so it's just nice to have a different course rather than just pounding up and down the, the streets. Yeah, and I think everybody's in the same boat out mm. there because uh, nobody's feeling great on the grassy uphills. Mm. Um, everybody's quads are hurting on the sharp descents. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it's a matter of managing your own game, isn't it? And mm. um, uh, if you're on top of that, uh, you can keep keep making progress. You can you can see you're making progress, yeah. Mm. And just go aid station to aid station. Tell us a bit about World Triathlon Store and what you guys are up to. A um, bit of a plug and... Uh, and what you sort of got planned for this year, because obviously World Triathlon Series is a big part of what you do. Tell us a little bit about the business and what's happening this year. Yeah, so um, the World Triathlon Store um, does two things, really. It provides merchandise around races and the World Triathlon Series, but also we um, effectively hold, host a uh, global uh, teamwear kit store mm-hmm. for people all around the world. So Epic Camps, you know, it's possible for us to send your gear to France, to Hawaii, to mm. uh, New Zealand or wherever. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's a part of the business people don't often see, but mm. um, so many clubs and races and groups and corporates and um, uh, people like that use us, and it, it's good fun to be involved in that mm. community. Um, but we're very excited because we'll be, um, we have all our new 2022 designs that'll be um, uh, released on the Instagram feed, World Triathlon Store, this week um, oh. on site at Leeds. Yeah. So we're going Leeds uh, and then Hamburg, uh, Leeds, Montreal, and Hamburg in quick succession. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on in the later on in the year, we'll be actually we'll be at the Collins Cup. 
Oh, um, nice. Because that's the ITU or World Triathlon long course now. Yeah. So I'm thinking to try and, try and join that race, actually. Oh, it might be cool. fun. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. that would be great. And then later on, we finish in Bermuda and Abu Dhabi. So um, it's a later start to the season. But mm. um, yeah, it's great to see everybody racing. And I think um, so many businesses are dependent on events. And mm. it's nice to see everybody back out there, whether mm. you're a bike shop, a coach, or merchandise, whatever it might be. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and what about your, you're going to aim for Collins Cup. Any other big ambitions um, for the next couple of years? Um, well, I've got my, my biggest race of my life against my godson, who's half my age uh, in Hamburg, yeah. uh, Olympic distance. So this this is part of my preparation for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not taking it too seriously because what I found is when I try to com- combine work um, at the same time as racing, and I guess you've been doing it this week, mm. Um, it's a bit challenging and none of them come out to be their best. So um, I'm going to drop into the races in Bermuda and Abu Dhabi, um, mm. but really as a, a rental bike and just mm. uh, participate. And you know, it's just fun to see everybody. So, yeah, yeah, I haven't, yeah, no major goals. I hope you can come back here next year if it's yeah, on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, keep me in touch. Excellent. Thanks for your time, Rob, and well done on, uh, on a good race. Yeah, pleasure, John. Thank you once, once again for the camp. Okay, John, thanks for those interviews. Uh, let's go winger of the week. Of the week. Okay, you, I've got you pulling out. You're going to say, well, not you pulling out, but I've got you pulling a number out. Um, winger of the week, uh, you've got a nitpick here, but who are you pulling out? Yeah, we're going number five, Jeff Roberts. He got fifth in the, the standings. He had a great week. Unfortunately, he crashed in the race. He got cut off in the bloody in the rumble strip. Ended up in the bloody ditch. Got cut to buggery. Oh really? And uh, he, but he got but got back on his bike and cracked on with it. Oh, legend! And he's currently sitting over in Waikiki. He's uh, got a negative COVID test, so he can go home. Uh, he did twenty five hours and twenty one minutes of training from fourteen activities. He did two hours and fifty minutes of swimming, eighteen hours and one minute of cycling, and four hours and 29 minutes of running so jeff is from christchurch but he's originally he's a welshman he has got a nickname i can't remember what it is i'm gonna find that in a second uh but he had a great week over well, there. it's funny john if you look at his graph of his yearly training uh he, he did but i must have known your small camps in november because there's yes. a little spike there but this week <laughs> it's like it's like the dubai what's that tower in dubai it's like that tower there in regards to how much training he's done in comparison to his normal training it's not like he's doing no volume normally but obviously epic camp takes you to the next level um do you, do you find his nickname yep jeff jack hammer roberts oh, nice that's good that's good yeah, yeah jeff you are our winger, winger of the week Okay, John, we're not going to worry about quiz or swim set. Let's say thank you to our patrons. David, the trimmer, Gitch. We've got Jonathan, the squeeze, Huddleston. And Lee, 20 eyes, Spore. Okay, if you want to get show, uh, if you want to support the show, go www.talk.me, become a patron, support the boys on what we do. If you want to show email to you, bottom of the front page of our website. If you want some coaching or do John's Epic Camp, you go to coachjohnnewson.com or epiccamp.com. My podcast, bevanjamesisles.com. Uh, email us, imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. You never goss, John? No, the goss that can be uh, shared on the show. Um, no, always always some good stories coming out of Epic Camps. Um, no, that is enough. I've got to, get, uh, got to get to bed after my four hours of sleep last night and then get on a plane in the morning. What time do you fly out? I fly out. I've got to be at the airport at about 6 a.m. Are you in Honolulu now? 
I am now I'm still in Kona. I'm oh, going to go okay. over Hon- Honolulu in the morning and then uh, go to Sydney. Oh, yeah. do, you, do, do you want me to tell you about my favorite airline in the world, Qantas? <laughs> That's what you oh, hate yeah. in Qantas. Oh, my God. What happened? They are a shock. I'm, I'm going to keep on moaning on them because I knew they were going to be a shocker. And boy, oh, boy, did they deliver. Oh, really? I was like late leaving here, late leaving here. I missed a flight there. It's like, oh, my God. And then... Every single person that came over on Qantas had problems. Mm. Fuck you, Qantas. You're absolutely hopeless. Yeah, I, know it's tough. I know it's tough with COVID and, and you know, lots of people off sick and stuff, but it just baffles me that everybody had issues. And also just communication. Uh-huh. Not, oh, you know, uh, John, I feel your pain. Well, good news is you're going home on Qantas. Yeah, great. Might not make it. <laughs> I'll see you, see you in three weeks. Exactly. Exactly. Do you have anything happening in your world? Well, I do have one quick funny story. I got home from the gym. I went for a run on Sunday morning. I get home from my run, and Joe opens the door and she goes, Bevan? Or she just goes, She doesn't even say Bevan. She just goes, Do you want to go to a sex party? And I'm like, the first thing I say is yes. <laughs> there's, there's no pause. There's no nothing. She goes, Do you want to go to a sex party? I go, yep. And she goes, Well, two of our friends have what kind of dogs are they? Kind of caboodles or something? Caboodles, yeah. And so it turns out they're breeding the dogs. So we go around to our friend's house, catch up with mates. Well, the dogs are shagging in the background. <laughs> and oh I was thinking, gosh. that's the only sex party I'm ever going to in my life, I tell you. Yeah. yeah. It was not good. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what the, little, the little boy, he was vigorous. There's no denying it. Well, Belinda wants to get a caboodle. So if you can oh, sneak one out, that costs a lot of money. 5K, mate. I know. That's, that's, I'm resisting very strongly. Yeah, but if you get one and you breed them, yeah, you know, because if you get five or six in your breeding, you get your money yeah. back, John. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, you can you can call me around for a sex party as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, all good. it's all go. Well, right, John, you have a safe trip home. Let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.